0: Welcome, and thank you for viewing our weekly sermon. I'm Pastor Malone, and I pray this message be a blessing to you and help you grow closer to Jesus. If you'd like to know more about having a personal relationship with Jesus, or to connect with us as a church, please visit westacres.org. Thanks again, and God bless. Well, amen, thank you, Rob. Thank you, praise team and choir. And this time, I wanna invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Acts chapter four, Acts chapter 4, and we're going to be uh, beginning in verse 32 today. Acts chapter 4, verses 32, Then we'll go through chapter 5 uh, a little bit today. Um, but once you've found your place, please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. And then chapter 5, it says, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds, and brought only a part of it, and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church. And upon all who heard of these things. Let us pray. Father, before we come to this, this text and to, to study this word, Father, I pray just from reading this text that we are reminded, Lord, that sin is serious. And Father, before we continue this worship service, I pray that we will come to you honestly. And Lord, just within the sincerity of our hearts, we will confess all known sin to you. Father, I ask that you please forgive me uh, for the sins of my life. Just because I'm standing here does not mean I'm sinless. Um, Lord, I... You saved me, a wretched sinner, just like everyone else in this room. Father, I pray that we will take heed of this word, and I pray that, Lord, as we learn that you're serious, I pray that we will be serious. Father, be with the preaching of this word, in Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. The title of today's message is The Seriousness of Sin. Interestingly, this is the first recorded sin of the church. Now, the church is made up of sinners. These folks were dealing with sin just like we deal with sin today. But this was the first sin that made its way into the church. Moreover, we see how God responded to this sin. And we learn very quickly, God does not take sin lightly. The Bible teaches that God hates sin. He hates all sin. But dear church, He especially hates the sin within His church. He hates sin that takes place within the body of Christ. The story of Ananias and Sapphira is a grave reminder that God desires his church to be holy. You know, the Apostle Peter was a, a key player in this story. He is the one, think of this, Peter's standing there and these folks <laughs> drop dead. One after the other, three hours apart. Peter's standing right there. He sees the life leave their eyes. He hears the thud when they drop to the ground. Peter was very serious when he wrote these words later to the church in his first letter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. Get this context in your mind. Ananias and Sapphira. Then read the words of Peter. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Sounds good, doesn't it? Peter knew what he was talking about. Uh, Peter saw what happens when you don't take this word seriously. Interestingly, our story today takes place during one of the highlights of the church's history. It takes place during a wonderful and fruitful time. Now, the early church was thriving in purity during this time. Luke gives us a summary of this sweet season at the end of chapter four. It is here we see, our first point, the church's purity described. We get that from chapter four verses 32 through 37. In this description, we learn a few things about the early church. We learn what made them tick. We learn what made them so good. We learn the highlights, things that we should try to emulate today. Uh, but what made this early church stand out? What made this season so sweet? What made this church so pure? What are some of the marks that we see? Well, one of the first things we see is that the church had unity, they had unity. Verse 32 says they were of one heart and soul. This is the equivalent of saying this. They were of one spirit. They were of one spirit. Very true, right? They were of one spirit. They were of the Holy Spirit. They each had the Holy Spirit dwelling within them, and they each had their eyes fixed on Christ and being obedient to Him. Uh, This unity was evidence that these folks belong to God. This, This unity was evidence to the lost world. There's something different about these people. Jesus, on the night before of his crucifixion, he actually prayed for the church's unity. Out of all the things that was on his mind before he died, before he went to Calvary, he was thinking of us. And this is what he prayed to his Father. John chapter 17, verses 20 through 22. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe. That's speaking of us, (laughs) y'all. Through their word. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be in us. Why? So the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that You have given Me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. The church was so attractive because of its unity. The church was great because of its great unity. The church was powerful because of its unity. This church was turning the world upside down because of its unity. Unity was a defining mark of the early church a church that gets things done is a church that is on the same page a church that makes an impact in this world is not a church that that is bickering to one another fighting with each other but it is a church that has its eyes fixed on jesus his great commission only approving what he wants that's all that matters it's a church that's not looking at me or i but it's a church that's looking at him They were a church that was known for its unity. They were also known for this. They were known for powerful preaching. And where do we get that? Look at verse 33. And with great power, the apostles, being men like Peter and John, were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. They were giving their testimony. They were speaking. They were sharing. In other words, we know this already because we spent some quality time in the book of Acts. They were preaching. They were preaching, and they were preaching with power. Great power. Now, this power didn't come from themselves, but this power came from the Holy Spirit. And it was penetrating hearts. Thousands upon thousands we're coming to Christ. Thousands were being added to the church. So we see this in this part of uh, Acts chapter 4 that they are giving their testimony. They are speaking of the resurrection. They are preaching in the name of Jesus. But let's backtrack just a little bit. I know we took some time off for Palm Sunday and Easter, but let's go back just to chapter 4. You don't even have to look far. Uh, but you remember... What the Sanhedrin, what the Jewish leaders told Peter and John, they said, we don't want you speaking, we don't want you teaching, we don't want you doing anything in the name of Jesus. And what did Peter and John do? They went back and told the church, we need to comply with their their rules. We need to submit to everything they just told us. No! Uh, They just flat out told them, they said, I'm sorry, we're not going to be able to follow that one. We're not going to be able to follow that order. Uh, look at Acts chapter 4, verses 19 through 20. But Peter and John answer them whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God. You must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. The church was being persecuted for preaching and teaching about Jesus, but folks, this did not hinder them at all. The apostles did not grow quiet. They did not grow intimidated. Rather, they grew louder and they grew more bold, bolder. Instead, uh, moreover, they prayed for more boldness. When they were put up in a corner against the, uh, the Sanhedrin, they didn't go and say, Lord, get us through this. Help us survive this persecution. They prayed, Lord, make us more bold. Make us bolder before. These people of opposition. This is a good lesson for us today. Anytime we are faced with someone that wants us to censor our message or wants us to watch what we should say in church, you know what we should do? We should get louder. We should get bolder. We shouldn't do the opposite. Sadly, a lot of churches are doing that today. They get quiet, they get intimidated and they compromise anytime someone tries to suppress the truth of the church we should just get loud i'm not going to yell we should get louder and we should get bolder The early church was marked by unity they were marked by powerful preaching and boldness they were also marked by generosity generosity verses 34 through 37 let's look at verses 34 and 35 There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. This was not communism, this was not socialism. Uh, this wasn't communal living. The, they were married. The, they, the husbands and wives lived together because they had land, they had houses. And folks, they weren't even told to sell these things. At no point did Peter or John or any of the other apostles say, okay, starting this Sunday, we need you to bring in such and such amount. Uh, pronto, uh, th- there was no edict given on how much people should give. They weren't even told to give. They gave freely, and they gave voluntarily. This is what is so beautiful about it. It it came from the heart, and it wasn't just a petty gift. It was outrageous. It was outrageous. These folks had the heart of God living within them, so they had a heart of generosity While describing the church's generosity, Luke gives us a prime example of a generous giver. Look at verse 36. We're introduced to a man named Barnabas. Everybody say Barnabas. Barnabas. I love this guy. And I love that many of you are Barnabases. I I, I love him so much. I I told Kristen when we were having kids, I said, if we have another boy, can we name him Barnabas? And she said, Atticus, Barnabas. People are going to think we're weird. Uh, So, uh, she won't let me do that. So, one of y'all should do that, okay? And I will just be so happy. Um, But Barnabas, he's one of my favorite people in all the Bible. But notice Barnabas isn't his actual name. His actual name is Joseph. His name was Joseph, but Barnabas was a nickname. Barnabas was a nickname given to him, meaning son of encouragement. The Apostles. Uh, think of the 12 apostles are spending so much time together leading this new church. Thousands upon thousands are coming and being saved. Think of all the, the, the meetings these apostles had. And think of them discussing all the new church members. And think about that. They gave Barnabas his nickname. I love that guy. Let's call him Barnabas. Have you ever thought about this? If the pastors of this church met together, And we gave you a nickname. I'm not going to disclose if any of you have one already. (laughs) Have you ever thought about that? What would your nickname be? What would you be known for? Would you be a complainer? Would you be lazy? Would you be, oh, go the other way. Here comes (laughs) so-and-so. Would you be divisive? Be honest with yourself. How are you perceived? How do you want to be perceived? How do you want to be? Not just perception. Who do you want to be? I tell you, I want to be a Barnabas. I want to be known as an encourager, not a destroyer. I want to be, to- I want to be known as someone that lifts people up, doesn't break them down. I, I want to be known as generous, not stingy. Think of that. Barnabas was known as the son of encouragement because every time you see him in Scripture, he was encouraging. He was lifting people up. He was being a support. Barnabas is the kind of guy you want in your corner. Oh, I wish we had a church full of Barnabases. We have a lot of you, but I wish we had more. Barnabas, in verse 37, said he sold a field. That belonged to him. Now, he's a Levite. He's not supposed to own any property. But at this time, apparently, the law wasn't uh, being ordered and followed strictly. Moreover, this field could have been in Cyprus. But it says, He sold this field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Talk about being generous. Talk about being generous. We're not talking about a tithe here, we're not talking about 10%, whatever percent. This man sold property. This wasn't just Barnabas doing this. We we see this was kind of happening throughout the church. Selling property and giving it to the church. Now what would you do if we started doing that around here? you ever thought about selling property? That is a precious commodity. Land does not depreciate. Yet in their eyes, they knew something more precious. Uh, they knew something way better than just having a field. They knew of a church that was changing the world. Also, notice this when Barnabas sold this field and gave the money to the apostles' feet, he didn't come up to Peter and say, Now, Peter, I sold this field. I want to give you all this money, but I want to go to, uh, I want, want you all to use it for this over here. No, start a new designated line. I want it to be used for this. He doesn't do that. Uh, He doesn't come up to the apostles and say, listen, I got this big gift and I want to give it to you, but I want y'all to recognize me for it. I want you to let the church know at the offering time, so-and-so gave this much money. Also, he he didn't go to the apostles and say, hey, I'm going to give you this, but I want you to name a Sunday school class after me. I want you to name a building after me. We don't see any of that with Barnabas. He gave that money to the apostles. And he trusted their leadership. He trusted them to distribute it as needed. And not that the apostles, says they lay down at the apostles' feet like they're sitting in thrones. No, no, that's not the case. This was just an idiom, a wording, representing they brought it to the apostles to distribute as needed. But, but folks, the apostles, uh, they weren't hungry for money. Uh, they weren't like the mafia. In fact, later on in the book of Acts, they, they're, they're getting so spread out, they want to devote themselves to the word and to the prayer. So what do they do? They find some good men to help them. They delegate That's when we see the first deacons or committee, whatever you want to call it, taking care of these different things. Barnabas was not looking for attention, but his generosity did not go unnoticed. The church was thankful for his gift. And, folks, he was most likely held in high esteem, even though he didn't want it. That's not why he gave, but it just happened. And this giving of Barnabas sets up the stage for this next story that's about to happen. Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Wow, the apostles sure do love this guy. I want to be like him. So who wants to be like Barnabas? Ananias. Ananias wants to be just like Barnabas. Yet he doesn't really want to be just like Barnabas. He wants to be seen like Barnabas. He wants to be perceived like Barnabas but what we learn in our story today is that he was far from being a Barnabas let's look at the next point the church's purity is defended the church had already been attacked by Satan Satan tried to use the Sanhedrin Satan tried to use uh, persecution to attack his church to attack the Lord's church but what did it do it backfired He thought he was hurting the church, but persecution grew the church. So what does he do now? And He says, I I can't get them from from the outside. I can't can't get this church with external factors. I'm going to creep on in, and I'm going to get them within. I'm going to infiltrate this church, and I'm going to get some people to start sinning. But lo and behold, God's not going to allow it to happen. He's going to defend the purity of his church. He's going to protect his church. He's going to maintain the purity of his church. Let's begin by looking at the sin, the sin itself. Look at verses 1 and 2. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. I've already said this. Ananias and Sapphira, they wanted to be like Barnabas. They wanted the same accolades. Uh, Perhaps they too were saying, man, I I wonder what kind of nickname they're going to give you, honey. What kind of nickname are they going to give us? Uh, We want to be just like him. They wanted to be seen as generous. And folks, they could have been generous. They could have very well been generous, even for the gift they gave. They could have sold their property. and They could have have kept the majority of the funds and just given a tenth. And these folks would have been generous. But our text today indicates that they made it appear that they were giving all the proceeds when they really didn't. Verse 2 shows that they conspired together. Sapphira is well aware of what Ananias is going to do. You can just see him in the kitchen saying, Honey, we should sell daddy's piece of property. And uh, we should give it to the church. But let's just, keep, let's just keep some for us. They don't have to know about it. They don't have to know about it. But we'll let them know we're going to give them everything. Uh, you could just think. Even in, even in their, their hearts right there, uh, they were conspiring against the Lord. They were conspiring. Their sin was not holding back the money. That wasn't their sin. But their sin was deception. Their sin was lying. They were hypocrites. They were trying to be seen as something that they really weren't. We can imagine what's going through their minds. They're thinking, when we take that offering to the church tomorrow, it's going to be a sweet, sweet day. It's going to be a sweet, sweet day. They're going to put you on display, Honey. Uh, they're probably going to let you sit right next to Barnabas. Uh, they, they're probably, there's no telling what they're going to do because of the gift that we are giving. They were going to put this couple on display, but not in the way they were hoping. God wastes no time in addressing their sin. Verses 3-10, through 10, we see what takes place after this. We see their punishment. Verse 3, but Peter said... Man, just get this in your, just picture this. Ananias walks in all proud. The ushers come forward. He's just like, you know, just just wanting to give this gift. There's no further exchange than Peter says this in verse 3. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. because you just picture Ananias? We don't even know what the man says. We don't know what he says. And in this moment, Peter was, giving divi- Peter was given divine discernment by the Holy Spirit. He knows that Ananias is lying, and he confronts it head on. I, I don't want us to miss this either. This was obedience on Peter's part. Peter is sitting there with this, this new church where thousands of people are joining day by day, being saved. There are so many needs, and this generous gift comes his way. Uh, think of the temptation there. I'm not going to say anything. We really need this money. I'm not going to say anything. This could really benefit this or that. Uh, I'm not going to say anything. Peter was obedient. He addressed it head on. He says, Satan has filled your heart, Ananias. Satan is the father of lies. Satan has been a liar since the beginning. Think of this. Every time we lie, it is influenced by Satan. Peter knows very well the power of Satan. He's had some run-ins with Satan. He's even been called Satan before. When Jesus was heading to saying, I've got to go to the cross. I've I've got to be handed over and die. What did Peter say? No, Lord. No. But then Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 16, verse 23. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter, the apostle, uh, the head uh, of this this band uh, of disciples, Jesus just flat out calls him Satan. Have you ever been called Satan before? I've been called some ugly things in my life, but I haven't. Don't call me Satan, okay, Kristen? Um, But Luke chapter 22, verse 31. This isn't on the screen. Jesus is getting ready to, to go to the cross, he's getting ready to be arrested. Peter, he said, I'll follow you to the death. Luke's gospel, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. Satan demanded to have Peter. He wanted to make an example of Peter. Just, just Remember the, the book of Job where God said, Have you thought about my servant Job? But this story is the different way around. Satan's like, let me have him. I want to have him. I'm going to get him. Peter had been there and done that and gotten the t-shirt when it comes to being influenced by Satan. Peter knew all about Satan. He knew all the the temptation about Satan. He also knew all the guilt that comes from the accuser. He knew all about it. So when he witnesses this and he's given divine discernment, he knows very well Satan is in the mix. Satan is in the details. He knows that Ananias is lying and being influenced by Satan. But guess what? Satan's not the one doing the lying. Ananias is. (laughs) He can't just say, well, the devil made me do it. No, Ananias was the one guilty of lying. In verse 4, we learn again that this offering was not required Their sin was not holding the money back. They could have done that with no problems at all. They could have kept their property. They could have sold the the property and and taken all the money and just done whatever they wanted to do. Uh, They could have done whatever they possibly wanted to do with this money. It was theirs. But their sin was lying. Their sin was deception. For Peter to know this, we know that he has divine discernment. But this also lets us know this. This couple had been boasting in their gift. They had been talking about it. They had been talking about it. You can just picture Sapphira saying, well, we're going to sell that property, and we're just going to give all the proceeds to the church. We're, we're, we, can't, we can't wait to do this. They're going to do so many things. God bless us. Uh, They were boasting in their gift. They were actually telling people this. You could see Ananias probably at the church meeting talking to the different folks, maybe trying to get closer and closer to leadership, saying, yeah, I'm thinking about I'm going to sell that property and I'm going to give all the proceeds to the church. I'm going to do just like Barnabas did. Y'all hear me? I'm going to do it. He made a commitment to the Lord. He made a commitment to the church. He said that he was going to do these things and he didn't often during the offering I know I botched that this morning forgive me Lord trying to make a joke of a haircut but we tell folks if you didn't come prepared today use this time and commit it to the Lord commit it to be careful what kind of commitments you make be careful what kind of commitments you make their sin was hypocrisy They wanted to be seen as something that they were not. They wanted to be seen as spiritual. They wanted to be seen as generous, but they weren't. They wanted to be seen as sacrificial givers, but they weren't. What happens after this confrontation? Does Ananias have a word? He drops dead. He drops dead. People try to explain his death. They try to say, well, he must have had a heart attack. He must have just been in so much shock from the words of Peter that his heart just stopped. He must have had an aneurysm. He must have had a stroke. Folks, whatever happened to his natural body is none of our business. All we know is this. This man was a recipient of divine judgment. God took his life away. God took his life away. Look at verse 6. They don't even they we don't even know what kind of comments were said after this happened. The young men, I thought of this section over here, if this ever happened in our church today. The young men rose, wrapped him up, carried him out and buried him. This wasn't the burial committee. This was just a group of young men that were given the task to go and bury this man named Ananias that dropped dead at church they wasted no time in burying him they didn't give him a funeral because this man was a recipient of divine judgment think about this they didn't even notify his wife Uh, perhaps they sent a messenger perhaps somebody went out trying to find sapphira but we learn in verse 7 she is clueless to what has happened look at verse 7 after an interval of about three hours let me stop right there this lady's three hours late to church Also, for y'all who've been staring at your clocks today, they've been at church for quite a while. They enjoyed meeting, they enjoyed being in worship. But it says after an interval, of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what happened. You can just picture her. She's she's probably they didn't have cell phones, they didn't have pagers, they, they didn't have any of that stuff. Okay? She's probably thinking, Oh, I can't wait to get to church today. I can't wait to see what they have done for Ananias. I can't wait. They're probably, well, I'm probably going to receive some compliments too. We're probably going to be the talk of the town. It's true. They are going to be the talk of the town. Just not in the way she was hoping. Verse 8, Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. Tell me whether you sold the land for for such and such amount. And she said, yes. Verse 9, But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? They not only lied to the Holy Spirit, but Peter, with his divine discernment, God has given him the discernment to know what is taking place. He says, you have tested the Spirit of the Lord. This wasn't an honest This wasn't an honest mistake. This wasn't just a couple meeting together saying, yes, let's do this, let's turn this in, everything will be okay. No, they knew exactly what they were doing. They knew what they were doing was wrong. Ananias knew it, Sapphira knew it. They were guilty. They they knew exactly what they were getting into. This wasn't an honest, petty, little mistake. says how is it that you've agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord behold the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out now we're not we're we're not sure if Peter knew Ananias was going to drop dead in fact when that happened uh, Peter could have very well been shocked himself saying whoa whoa what just happened here but Peter is well aware and he knows exactly what's about to happen to Sapphira he is speaking as a prophet of the Lord. What has happened to your husband is about to happen to you. What happens? Verse 10 immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Interestingly, this couple thought they were bringing their boastful gift to the apostles' feet. They end up dying at the apostles' feet. You ever thought about that? This is is a tragedy, what has happened. In fact, before I came to the pulpit today, I was praying down that front row, Lord, I pray I have settled accounts with you. I do not want to, this is no jokey matter. But scripture is very comical here. It's very comical it says, when the young men came in, they found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Three hours later, think about that. These guys, I don't know if they started, it says they had to take the bodies outside the city to bury them. Either It could have been a burial in the ground, but most folks, if they had a tomb, they put their bodies there. But they've made the trek. They've made the journey. They've made the mission to go and take care of Ananias' burial. And you can just hear these young guys making their way back to the house that day. Man, I can't believe that happened. What? I can't believe it. That dude just dropped dead in church. He lied to the Holy Spirit. I can't believe it. And they're probably like, man, I'm going to sleep good tonight. Wow, that was some hard work. They get to the door. Thud. Sapphira's dead. Sapphira's dead. They got to pick her up and go right back where they came from to bury her beside her husband. This story is difficult for modern readers. This story is difficult for even church members. Some believe this story didn't even happen. If that's the case, you're in the wrong church. If it's in this book, it happened. But others feel that God was unfair in this situation. How could God be so harsh with Ananias and Sapphira for this this petty little offense? How could God be so harsh with them, but be so gracious with Peter? I mean, he denied Jesus three times when he needed Him the most. He could be so gracious with someone like David who committed adultery, who was guilty of murder, who who could be so gracious to a man like Paul that was persecuting the church. How could God be so harsh with Ananias and Sapphira? Folks, if that is your heart cry, let me let you know this. The reason you're feeling that way is because you have such a small view of sin. And when you have a small view of sin... You know what else you have a small view of? The cross. All sin is a great offense to God. Sin is never okay. If you think in in whatever world you're living in that the sin I'm holding on to, that this sin I'm enjoying, that this sin I'm practicing, that this sin is okay with God, think again and repent Amen. repent we see other stories in the bible where god dealt with sin in a similar way nadab and abihu the sons of aaron it says they were offering up strange fire to the lord many people thought they were they were drunk when they were doing this they were just acting the fool when they were offering up this this strange sacrifice and this strange offering to the lord These two young men, sons of Aaron, what happened to them? It says the fire of God came and consumed them. The fires of God came and consumed them at the altar. I think about that. God is serious about sin. Uh, I just share this. This is just a common example. This, This question is, in my short tenure as a pastor, this is the world we're living in today. Pastor should I go to a gay wedding? I've been asked that multiple times. I haven't been pastor for two years. You know what my answer is? No. No. Why would you play with fire? Well, where did Nadab and Abihu get burned up? At the altar of God. Where did two people go to get married? At the altar altar don't play with sin that's where you have to draw a line i don't care who's involved but that's where you have to separate yourself you can't be a part of that and think about this too in my mind there's no such thing as a gay wedding marriage is between one man and one woman but when you go to an event like that it's blasphemy it's blasphemy To to be a part of something where someone says, I come before God and man to bring these two people together, that is blasphemy. I'll never be a part of it. I won't go to a gay wedding. I won't go to a drunk wedding. I've done a wedding where the, the man and the woman were just fumbling their words. They were so intoxicated, saying their vows their vows before the lord and i'll go ahead and share this with you so i don't have to have weird emails you got alcohol at your wedding find somebody else to do it okay i know i'm a teetotaler that's me that's me okay but just as someone would come and abuse the altar of the lord when two people are drunk that isn't abuse that is a sin against the lord What happened when Nadab and Abihu were burned up? This is the word that came their way to to Aaron. Leviticus chapter 10, verses 2 through 3. And fire came out from before the Lord, consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. Nadab and Abihu were no Moses' nephews, but they were Aaron's sons. And Scripture says Aaron held his peace. We also see the story of Achan in the book of Joshua. Achan held back things himself. And God said, listen, you got some sin in your camp. You better take care of this or I will not be able to serve you and protect you. You better take care of this. They had to have a meeting. What happened to Achan? They stoned Him to death. Sin would not be tolerated in the camp. God does not tolerate sin in His midst. He hates all sin, but He especially hates the sins of His people. He hates the sins of those people who have the Holy Spirit living within them. He made an example of them. He made an example of Ananias and Sapphira. And very quickly, and let's talk about the result. What happened because of what happened... To Ananias and Sapphira when people went home for lunch that day after that that long church meeting what did they talk about I can't believe they dropped dead what happened after this husband and wife dropped dead at church scripture says great fear came upon them all we see this mentioned in uh, verse 5 of chapter 5 when Ananias heard these words he fell down and breathed his last great fear came upon all who heard of it Acts chapter 5 verse 11 After Sapphira dies, and fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things, the church in its infancy was reminded that God is serious about sin. This, This fear wasn't just a fear of the Lord talking about reverence or awe, but this was talking about a trembling fear. The people trembled at God. And why did they fear Him? Because He was a holy God. They were reminded that he is holy. Moreover, this incident probably also deterred others from sinning. Folks that were probably thinking about doing something like, no way. Uh, Deterred them from sinning, but also if anybody had sinned in their life, I guarantee you some folks came to repentance that day. Stirred hearts to turn from sin. God's judgment kept his church pure in its early days. This judgment also kept the the church from being corrupt in its early days. Think about this. If God did not reveal this sin to Peter, Ananias and Sapphira, they would have been in good standing with the church. They would have had influence in the church. I'm not saying that's how things things do not operate that way here today. Just because you give here does not mean you get to uh, climb some ladder to leadership. But very well, uh, their gift had influence. It could have had influence. It could have put them in high esteem. They would have been adored. They would have been depended on. All at the same time of being fake. All at the same time being filled and influenced by Satan. And what would would Satan have done without opportunity? He would have tore the church up from the inside Out. Ananias' name means God is gracious. Sapphira's name means beautiful. Uh, This week, when I was studying, folks were like, I don't know what their names mean with this story. But if we take an honest look at this story, God was being gracious with what happened to Ananias and Sapphira, he was being gracious to his church. He was also being gracious to them. He took them out. Now, if they were believers and unbelievers, that's a whole other sermon. Come to me, we'll talk to you about that. But he took them out of this world because he would not allow that sin to continue in his church. God is serious when it comes to sin. God desires his church to be holy. He desires everyone that claims to be a part of this church. He desires you to be holy. Not only desires you to be holy, He commands you to be holy. That means He desires for you personally to be holy. Folks, if you find yourself like Ananias and Sapphira... If you're keeping those pet sins in your life, if you're pushing the envelope with God, I want to tell you this don't test Him. Don't test Him. Repent today. Confess your sins to Him today. Draw near to Him today because He is serious about sin. Let's pray.